Welcome to the Liberty Podcast. We're so excited that you're interested in the teaching ministry of Liberty Bible Church. We're a multi-site church that exists to share the love of Christ across Northwest Indiana. If you're looking for a church home, please check us out at our website, findliberty.net. Thanks again for joining us as together we're transformed by the teaching from the Word of God. Uh, Well, good morning and welcome to Liberty Bible Church. My name is uh, Tim. I serve as one of the pastors here. If you have a a Bible, you can turn it to Hebrews chapter 4. That is where we will be this morning, Hebrews chapter 4. We've been in a, a series on the Sabbath. And as we end that series this morning, I want to end by saying that that Sabbath isn't simply a pious teaching. What's at issue is the very meaning of life. I believe that. Not because I believe every Christian must practice the Sabbath like me, and not because I believe we as Christians have to continue to obey the Sabbath the way it was given to the Jewish people in the Hebrew Bible. But because the story of the Sabbath invites us to consider a question. Where will I find my rest in this restless world? And you could probably guess, because I'm a pastor, or if you've been listening over the last few weeks, my answer is, will you find rest in Jesus? We've been trying to say that for seven weeks. Uh, But just because we might say something with our lips, just because we might have an answer in our heads, does not mean we get that answer lived. That a couple of weeks ago, I spent a week in prayer, went to one of my favorite places in the world, Glacier National Park. Is that where I find my rest? Uh, the right place, the right destination. If I could just hold on a few more days, weeks, months, and escape my restlessness and get to the right place, is that how we find rest? Uh, or as I left for my prayer trip a few weeks ago, uh, according to fan graphs, the Cubs had a 92% likelihood of making the playoffs. Uh, To me, there are a few things better than a cool fall evening watching your favorite team play playoff baseball. Uh, By the time I came out of my prayer trip, the Cubs had blown their lead and it was clear they were not going to make the playoffs. Can I still be at rest or is my rest ultimately rooted in my entertainment? Or I I know, if I want to feel a moment of rest, there's always something I can buy. An Americano at Uptown Cafe, a round of golf at Beachwood out in La Porte, a new book to read. Is that where I find my rest? What my possessions can afford me, what my money can purchase for me? Or do I find my rest in my accomplishments, my work, what I do during the week? The success or the non-success of this community, this church. I can't stop because I have too much to do for God. Will I find my rest in what I do? Where will I find my rest in a restless world? Where will you? 
And our hope is that you'll answer that question as Jesus. But that's really hard to do. It's really hard to actually live a deep life of peace and rest and discipleship to Jesus because of the world in which we live. Uh, And so what I want to do, I'm going to read our text for us this morning. It's Hebrews chapter 4. And I'm going to pray for us and then end our series in in some final thoughts from this text on how to find rest uh, in a restless world. So if you have a Bible, you can go to Hebrews chapter uh, 4. And I'm going to ask, if you're able, would you please stand as I read um, God's Word for us. Uh, Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 through 14. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. Again in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, And those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again, he appoints a certain day. Today, saying through David so long after in the words already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight. But all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. And this is God's word. You may be seated. And let me pray for us as we go into some very complicated words. Our Father in heaven, we give you thanks. Uh, that there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for us. So give us ears to hear, open hearts, that we might enter your Sabbath rest. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, we're going to uh, break down a very complex passage with three, three main points. Uh, how to find rest in the wilderness. Uh, Rest in his promise and rest in his voice. So first, rest in uh, the wilderness. Now, the the book I read from, the book we're in this morning, is called Hebrews, which sadly, many Christians have abused this book by naming the place in their church where they serve coffee Hebrews. (laughs) 
cafe. And I will never do that to you. Just promise that. Uh, but, but aside from knowing the fact that sometimes Christians abuse this book by doing that, uh, there are two other important things to know about this book of Hebrews, at least for this morning. The first is, this is most likely a, a long sermon. The whole book is a sermon. It's a work of a pastor speaking to his congregation, encouraging them and, and seeking to lead them into the way of Jesus, to find their rest in Jesus. But second, this congregation has been experiencing persecution. It's been hard for them to be Christians. And so in a way, they are in the wilderness. The spiritual desert following Jesus has meant suffering and hardship in their life. And so it's why in this passage, the preacher retells a story when Israel is in the wilderness. A time of, of trial and difficulty. And so Israel, uh, and we've told the story a few weeks ago, they're freed out of slavery to Egypt, to Pharaoh. That's the king who ground them into the dust and gave them no rest, worked them with no Sabbath. But what God didn't do was, was free them from Egypt one day, and the next day they're in the land of ultimate rest and promise. No, instead he, he shepherds them right to the edge of the Red Sea, so there's, there's sea on one side of them, and on the other side of them, the Egyptian army has had a, a, plan of ch- uh, a change of plans, and they are bearing down on Israel to destroy them, and they have nowhere to go. And so God splits the Red Sea in two, leads them through it, and then they, they get through the Red Sea, and on the other side of the Red Sea, after God swallows up the Egyptian army in the Red Sea, the other side is the wilderness, which is not like Glacier National Park that I showed you earlier. It's, it's the desert. And there's no water in the desert. There's no food in the desert. There's no shelter in the desert. And that's where God takes his people for a stretch of days before he's going to move them into the promised land. So it's not hard to imagine this congregation hearing this preacher preach Hebrews 4 and to think we're kind of like that. God saved us through Jesus and now we're being persecuted. This makes no sense. We know what it's like for them. It's hard to rest in the desert. And so just to pause there for this morning, what is your desert? What is your wilderness? What is robbing you of Resting in Jesus, your Sabbath. Maybe it's a a relationship. A friendship or someone you once treasured. And now it's very fragile or it's broken or it's over. Maybe it's, it's work. There's too much on your plate. You're worn down. And even if you got a few days away to recover, you know you'd have to walk right back into the same mess you walked out of. Maybe it's a a child, a family member. You, You are doing everything you can and nothing's working. Nothing's leading to fruit. I mean, what what is your wilderness? What is your desert? What is robbing you of rest? In the last 24 hours of what's happening in Israel, as a reminder, like this, this, is a, this is a dangerous place to live. 
And the heart of this series is not, hey, follow Jesus and everything works out for you. I don't believe that. I believe God shepherds and leads us into desert seasons, into wilderness seasons. But I also believe the Sabbath rest of God is available to us in that space. That's where the first command of the Sabbath came, was in the desert. And I believe the worst thing you can say to someone who's, who's resting in or who is walking through the wilderness is, well, just find your rest in Jesus. Just think harder. Think better. Remember the truth. Get over it. And that's often what we do as, as Christians. Well, this is the truth, and if it's in your head, then it, it should get lived. But it's a long way from your head into the rest of your body and into your life, which is why we've done a series on the Sabbath. Our word to you as a church is not, hey, your, your Sabbath rest is in Jesus, so get over it. It's your Sabbath rest is in Jesus and you live in a terrible world. And so maybe you ought to consider carving out one day a week an ancient practice to ground you in the truth that your Sabbath rest is in God. That's why I believe a consideration of the Sabbath is important. Not out of some legalistic obligation placed upon us, not because we as a church have a desire to legislate what you do on the Sabbath. I, I don't. But Sabbath is important because we're going to try to find rest somewhere, lived out through our bodies. The question is, what is it? And when I'm not doing well with my own Sabbath life, is, is my rest is found in distraction on my phone, with my next purchase, with what I can accomplish to make up for my restlessness, for what I can do to get better control of my life and circumstances. And none of that leads to rest in Jesus, but rest in my own capacity to care for myself, which is why I started with the quote, what's, what's at issue with the Sabbath is at the very meaning of life. The Sabbath says every seventh day, this is not my world. This isn't even my life. It's been given to me. And I, I stopped to recall Genesis 1, what was originally designed for this world, the blessing, the abundance, the desert-free world God created and intends for us. And I submit myself under His care and His provision and His love, and I remind myself for 24 hours, the world does not need me. My work doesn't need me. I don't need to accomplish anything because there's so much happening in this world because it's the Father's world, not mine. Let's bring back a, a quote from earlier in the series, Jewish scholar Matis Yahu Savat. He writes, Every seventh day the Israelite renounces dominion over his own time, his autonomy, and recognizes God's dominion over time and thus over himself. The Israelites, in, in their wilderness story, were under God's provision and care. Yes, they were in the wilderness, but God gave them water to drink. He gave them food to eat. He kept their clothing through the wilderness. He promised to bring them into a promised land. And so he says, every seventh day, get in touch with those promises, because the desert around you is going to distract you from the truth of who God is and make you want to provide for yourself instead. And so wherever you are this morning in faith, in your understanding of Jesus, the promise of the scriptures is that wherever you find yourself, God wants to shepherd you in that place, even in the desert, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. 
And we got to get that lived. And the Sabbath, the seventh day for me, is about getting that sentence lived. The Lord is my shepherd. Which means I can, I can step away for a day and, and listen to my shepherd. So rest in the wilderness. That's where the text starts. Uh, second, we have to rest in his voice. So the preacher, he's telling the story of the wilderness of Israel. And what makes this complicated is, is he's using this story on four levels. Like if you've seen the movie Inception, this is like more complicated than the movie Inception. Okay, no one saw Inception. I thought at least one person would have seen that. But he's dealing with four different time frames. He's dealing with Israel in the wilderness, the initial story. He's dealing with when Psalm 95 was written, which was written about Hebrew or about the original wilderness generation. He's speaking to this congregation in this moment, and then it's written down for us today. It's like four levels of application in this story. So it's easy to get lost. So if I read and you were lost, that's, a, that's okay. But the, the highlight is they're in the desert and God has promised them to take them to a land of rest. And can they trust in God's voice to lead them through the, the desert into a place of rest? And the question, did they trust his voice? The answer is no. And so the preacher quotes from Psalm 95, which Psalm 95 says, says this. Today, if you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah and as you did at Massa in the wilderness where your ancestors tested me, though they tried me, though they had seen what I did. That last line of Psalm 95, though they, they saw what I did and they didn't trust my voice. See, in the desert, there's no water. Well, if you read the, the Exodus narrative, God made water come out of a rock. There's no food in the wilderness. Well, God made food fall from the sky. Manna literally means, what is it? <laughs> it's food. God's feeding you. Your shepherd is feeding you. They were vulnerable to the most powerful military in the world, to Egypt. And God splits the Red Sea. All of this generation saw this. And then God says to them, and I'm going to lead you all the way into the land of the rest. And they, they did not trust his voice all the way. And so the preacher of Hebrews is saying to his congregation, and I'm saying to you this morning, we're all in the same position, which is, well, can you listen to his voice now? Whatever your wilderness is, can you trust his voice to lead you through to the land of promise? Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Amen. Rest in his voice. And instead of hearing the voice of God and responding in faith, they hardened their hearts in disobedience, took control of their own lives and went their own way. But maybe you hear that and think, I wouldn't be like that. If, if I saw God move miraculously, part the Red Sea in two, have my dinner fall on my head from heaven, uh, give me water to drink out of a rock, then I would diligently obey everything that he said to me. And I used to kind of think that. If I saw more, the problem is I haven't seen enough. The problem is the scriptures give so many pieces of evidence that how much you hear has very little to do with how much you will believe. Because when God speaks, something happens to us. 
And that's where the Hebrews passage ends. Verses 12 and 13. For the word of God is living and active. So when God speaks into our lives, it's living and active. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. It pierces the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow. It discerns our thoughts and the intentions of our hearts. And no creature is hidden from his sight. But all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. God speaks and we are laid bare. Exposed. To who we really are. To what we really think. So what do I really think about what will bring rest to my soul? What, what do I really want to be guided by? The voice of God and obedience to Him or <clears throat> to make my own decisions and to remain in control of my own life? And the moment God speaks to us, all of that gets exposed. <clears throat> and a lot of people have a problem with that, with this this what's written of God here, that he makes commands or he speaks to us and we're exposed. It kind of sounds awful, uh, which is why the famous atheist Christopher Hitchens uh, wrote this about the Christian God. So religion is a totalitarian belief. It's the wish to be a slave. It's the desire that there be an an utterable, unchallengeable, tyrannical authority who can convict you of thought crime while you are asleep who can subject you to to total surveillance around the clock every waking and sleeping moment of your life before you're born, and even worse, and where the real fun begins after you're dead, a celestial North Korea. I mean, is that what Hebrews 4 is saying? I mean, in a way, I mean, that's kind of like a really cynical take on what Hebrews 4 is saying, but it is, like, that is kind of what Hebrews 4 is saying. God looks at your whole life, and you will give an account for it. But is that really what Hebrews 4 is saying? I mean, think about what's going on here. God has rescued a people from slavery. He shepherded them through the wilderness. He fed them. He clothed them. He gave them water. He protected them from their enemies. And then he promised them a land of rest. God's voice said all of those things. And then the the voice of the psalmist says to us, today, if you you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Well, who would harden their hearts to a God who feeds you and clothes you and gives you water to drink and invites you into his Sabbath rest? Who would ever do that? I mean, what has the voice of God actually said in in this passage? See, I love Hebrews 4. I used it in high school. It's like, I mean, that's a great couple of verses if you want to make people feel really bad. Like, the word of God will expose you. Like, I mean, that's just, that's just easy. That preaches. But what is the word of God saying in this passage? Enter the Sabbath rest of God. Not some really hard teaching about how much money you have to give away about, or about your sexuality or about loving your enemies. I mean, the Bible says those things. The command that's being struggled with here is enter the rest of God. And we're like, nope. I got my own strategies, my own way forward. <laughs> the, the command that exposes us in Hebrews 4 is not some like radical, difficult teaching of Jesus. It's enter the rest of Jesus. And that exposes us. 
It exposes us. This is not a celestial North Korea, a dictator of the universe. So why are we so resistant to this voice? And that question is, is why, I've, I've enc- why we've encouraged a, hey, don't just see Jesus as your Sabbath. Try to get this lived. The God of Israel is the first authority figure in history that we have. God, king, political figure that commanded his subjects to rest. Every king, pharaoh, God that we read about in this time frame, the ancient Near East, all of them worked it to the, to the dust. This God says, stop and rest. Enter into my rest. And we have to get that lived and I, I would say maybe the best way actually to really hear his voice, to really listen, to understand this God who's unlike any being in all of the universe, is to stop and to Sabbath with him. That yes, Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. That's the whole point of the Sabbath storyline from Genesis to Revelation. But does that change God's desire for you to, to rest and to stop in your life? To stop one day in seven, to stop listening to my voice, to your voice, to stop trying to stay in control of our our lives. As Marva Zahn brilliantly said, a quote I'll, I'll bring back for this morning, if we ceased work on the Sabbath, we could also give up the whole attitude of productivity, the worries associated with that pressure, our striving to be in control of our lives, our scrambling for possessions, our entrapment in a culture and the resultant meaninglessness and boredom. Being followed by my own voice leads me to find rest in my possessions, in my work, in serving God and doing what he needs me to do 24-7. When even God's like, I don't need you to do it 20. I need you to do it 6, 24, not 7 days a week. 24. He's not even asking his people to do that. So why am I asking that of myself? This is the only being, well, it's not the only because other people started copying this being, but this is the first being in history to say, I command you, rest. Rest in me. Can you rest in his voice, his promises, his shepherding, even when you're in the valley of the shadow of death? Uh, and then third, we're, we're going to finish our series and our time this morning. Can you rest in his promise? So verse 1 begins, uh, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands. So the whole point of this little part of this sermon is the promise of entering the Sabbath rest of God still stands, even through all human disobedience. We make a wreck of his world. Yet the promise of entering his rest still stands. And that's been the heart of this whole series. It's not just, hey, Jesus is your Sabbath. Good luck until you die. It's, hey, like, you can have the rest of God now. It's real. It's available. And that's what the preacher means when he says to Genesis 1. He's like, this goes all the way back to Genesis 1 when he says verse 4. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. On the seventh day, God rested from all his works. From the beginning of creation, God's promise for you to experience his rest has been true. It's never changed. God's promise for you to live in his 
abundance, His beauty, His provision is on the first page of the Bible and it never stops until we get to the very end and we experience the eternal rest of God. That promise existed to the wilderness generation even through their disobedience. It existed in Psalm 95 when the psalmist called his people once again, listen, get into the rest of God. It existed here in Hebrews 4 through faith in Jesus and it exists to you and I today. So today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Psalm 95 is doubling down on the promise of Genesis 1 that the rest of God and his promise for you to live in his provision, his abundance, his flourishing still stands. The promise and the rest of God has never stopped. And do you know why the preacher can say that? Why I can say that to you this morning? It's because of the last verse, verse 14. Sadly, if you have an English Bible, they put a break there. And that's all editorial decisions where we think the passage is in the side. There's no way to me, though, that it, it stopped in verse 13. Verse 14 is the conclusion of the call to enter the rest of God. And what does verse 14 says? What we've been saying this whole series. Therefore, since we have a great high priest... Who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Do you know, do you know what he's saying? The, these Hebrews and we today are in a, a restless world. We're in the wilderness, waiting to get to the promised land, to the new heavens and new earth. And there's so many, there are so many ways you're going to lose your rest in this world that you have no control over. Diagnosis, uh, job change, Loss of relationship. There's so many ways. I mean, war. Like, that, that was just a day. A day, And it's ongoing now. There's so many ways you're going to lose your rest in this world. Your, your hope and your rest is not in you getting control of your life to where your life is exactly where you want it to be. My guess is, like, that only happens for all of us, like, three times in our life. Wherever the relationships, our jobs, everything lines up just perfect. But we don't even notice, and it already happened, so it's not going to happen again. That's what I'm saying to you. Your circumstances are never going to align again to where you will have a rest, a, a perfectly uh, good world of rest in your life. Your rest comes in the new heavens and new earth. So the, the author is saying, can you trust his voice to, to get you there? Can you, can you trust Jesus to get you home? And then what does he say about Jesus? Well, he, he already passed through the heavens. He's already where we are trying to go. And he's not just, he's not just there. He is uh, the great high priest, the one sitting at the right hand of the Father, who's directing the course of history, who's welcoming you home. He's already gotten to the place of rest you're trying to get to. So hold fast to his promise that he can get you there too. He's already arrived. He's already there. And he's promised to come back to, to rescue us and to make the new heavens and new earth, where we live now, a perfect place of rest, the fulfillment of his promises. And so it may not be enough, but every 24 hours or every week for 24 hours, I want to practice to get ready for that world. I don't want the rest of Jesus to just be an idea that lives in my head. Yes, Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. He is my Sabbath rest, but that's going to mean something lived out into my days. And so I, I Sabbath to practice and to make real the rest of Jesus into my, into my life. I don't know a better way 
to get the rest of God lived into our experience, into one day a week, to feast, to stop my work, to glory in the Father, to remember Genesis 1, and to worship with other people who have ordered their existence around the voice of Jesus. That our desire is not Sabbath out of some legalistic obligation uh, to any of us, but to get the rest of God lived. So where will you find your rest in this restless world? The Sabbath is not just a pious teaching. What is at issue is the very meaning of life. And my hope was uh, before we did this series, I'd have a really good Sabbath practice and I would be living out of that Sabbath practice and preaching that Sabbath practice or preaching out of a, like, I, I'm doing this really well right now. And I, I'm just not there. <clears throat> My Sabbath's probably never been worse. In fact, yesterday <clears throat> may have been one of the worst Sabbaths I've ever had. I got hit with, <clears throat> Friday evenings when it's supposed to start, had a new, like, just thing to be anxious over. And I just, I stewed in it, I stewed in it. I went to sleep thinking about it. I woke up thinking about it, about my work here. No, it wasn't that important. Um... And I just, I was, I was not at peace. And so about 12 hours into my 24-hour Sabbath, I was like, enough. And I, I did my, my normal uh, Bible reading practice. Uh, I read through the Psalms each month, and typically I'll find one or, two, uh, one or two verses in the Psalms, and I'll just sit in those words. And I'll, I'll set a timer, <laughs> and I can't leave until that timer's over. And it doesn't have to be long. It, could be, it can be short. But, um, but yesterday I sat, in, I sat in Psalm 36, two verses from Psalm 36. And I want to read those if I can find the book of Psalm in my Bible, which uh, apparently I can't right now. This is, this is not good. Um, where is it? Is that the Old Testament? Is that where that is? <laughs> there we go. There it is. Um, I'm sorry. I should have marked this. There we go. Uh, Psalm chapter 36. I sat in, in, these, in these words in my basement yesterday. How precious is your steadfast love, O God. I take refuge in the shadow of your wings. I feast in the abundance of your house. And you give me drink from the river of your delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light do I see light. And I said, for five minutes, that's all I had. I sat in that and I said, okay, Father, for the next 12 hours, because I've already ruined half my Sabbath, but for the next 12 hours, I'm going to live like these words are true and I'm releasing everything I've been thinking about. I'm not responsible for it for the next 12 hours. I will be responsible for it in 12 hours, unfortunately. Um, but for the next 12, nope, it's not my problem. It's your world, your universe. You've introduced this problem into the world, so it's your problem. And I'm not helping you for the next 12 hours. And God's totally fine with that, believe it or not. <laughs> he doesn't always need my wisdom to conduct the affairs of the universe. Um, but five minutes, how precious is your steadfast love? Oh God, I take shelter in the shadow of your wings, not in my wisdom, 
Not in the fact I can carve out a solution to this problem. Not in the fact I know what I'm doing. I take refuge in the shelter of your wings. And then I went upstairs and made chocolate chip pancakes and a breakfast sandwich for my, my kid. And it was chaotic mess in my whole house. But my spirit, I was living the rest of Jesus for the rest of that day. So listen, I... <clears throat> I don't know how or what a practice of the Sabbath might look like for you. All I know is God is so committed to you, to bringing you into his rest. He sent his only son into this world, whose ministry literally began in the desert. Then he was tempted by the devil. And that's the son of God. He, gets, he shows up among us, and he, he's, he finds himself in the desert and tempted by the most evil being in the universe. And it only gets worse from there. He ends up on a cross goes into a grave, but comes out three days later to go to the promised land of rest to say to you, just will you trust my voice and my promises and I'll bring you home. And so today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, but listen to his voice and enter his rest. Let us pray. Father, we We trust in the rest of Jesus. And we need to get it lived into our bones. And so now we're going to practice the New Testament version of Psalm 36. We're going to drink from your river of delights. We're going to feast in the abundance of your house. At your table, where your table is filled with the, the, the broken body of Jesus and the shed blood of Jesus to say, our high priest has gone before us. He He got home. And he said, keep eating at his table, because one day his table, he'll join us at that table, and we'll, uh, we'll eat in the new heavens and new earth with him. So for the next few minutes, whatever has, whatever has introduced restlessness into our lives and world is, is irrelevant. The only relevant thing is the person of Jesus inviting us to his table, and we come by faith and obedience to his voice to align our voice, or our lives and our, our hearts and minds with his rest, uh, his life, his commands, his way. Knowing we can't do it, but knowing that's okay. We're we're covered through his sacrifice on our behalf. So, Father, lead us to the table of your son, Jesus, we pray now in his name. Amen. Thanks for being with us today. If you'd like more information on our church or a place to connect, you can check us out on the web at findliberty.net.